Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. This sermon series, from now all the way through Easter, is called The Way, and it involves an examination of Jesus' teachings from his Sermon on the Mount, as found in the Gospel of Matthew. The importance behind this sermon series is that Jesus is revising many of the laws that we find in the Old Testament. It's important for our understanding as Christians to understand where he comes from and how he interprets those laws. I hope you enjoy this series. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth chapter, verses 32 and 33. You must therefore be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn to the right or to the left. You must follow exactly the path that the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live, and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you are to possess. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. He is risen. He is risen indeed. All right. We're going to read the scripture of Jesus' resurrection. After the Sabbath, at the first day of the week, as the first day of the week was dawning. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord, descending from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has been raised from the dead. And indeed, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came to him took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So happy Easter to everyone. So great to see you all here today. I hope to make this morning somewhat memorable for you. But in order to do that, I need to correct a misperception as to what this day is all about. So every year around this time, I think you all are pretty used to it, right? We come together, we read some scriptures about Jesus coming back from the dead about an event that happened nearly 2,000 years ago. So like 9-11 or Pearl Harbor or 4th of July, this day is about remembering something that happened in the past. And very much like those other holidays, there's rituals that we have around this particular day 
Would you agree with me on that? Oh yeah, you all get together, right? Get together with your family and your friends. You come to church. You sing some songs. You hear a sermon that's hopefully not too long. And then you leave out. You go to your Easter brunch, wherever that is. You part ways. And you do it all over again the next year. Am I right? That's the way it goes, right? So I think the problem, though, with comparing this particular day with all those other holidays is that we assume that the purpose of this day is to remember the past, to remember the event itself. So if you've come here, if you read the scripture about how Jesus came back from the dead after he was crucified, then you have achieved the purpose of this day. But what I would like to suggest to you this morning is that actually that's not why we are here this morning. We are not here to remember an event that happened nearly 2,000 years ago. We're not here to have a history lesson about some guy who none of you have ever known in your life here and now. Today is really about you and how this particular event exists in your life today. Now, I know that might sound kind of vague and cryptic, but it'll make sense once I've gotten all the way through it. You trust me on that? Yes. Good. I hope so, because otherwise it's going to be a long ride. (laughs) So, I want to start off. This day is about you. And to help you understand why, I want to talk about this word Christian for a second. You ever heard that word before, Christian? I hope so. Okay. Word Christian. Usually, when you hear that word Christian... We usually associate it with church. When people meet me for the first time and they find out I'm a pastor, assuming they don't run the other way, which happens more often than you would think, (laughs) they will often tell me where they go to church. But a Christian is not a Christian because they go to church. A Christian is a Christian because they are a follower of Jesus. So if you identify with that word Christian, and I'm not saying that everybody in here does, but if you identify with that word Christian, what it means is that you have built your life around the teachings of this man, Jesus of Nazareth. You have made a decision that you're going to live your life the way he lived his life. Now proof of this, if you go back in time, if you went back to the very beginning of Christianity... They were actually not called Christians. They were called followers of the way. Followers of the way. Now that term way is actually a Greek phrase that refers to a philosophy of life. Christians are not the only ones who use this. But if you were a follower of Jesus back in the day, the way somebody recognized your identity as a Christian was not because you went to church. It's not because you were in a building like this. It's because of how you lived your life. And Jesus' disciples, they stuck out among everybody else because Jesus' way of life is actually quite difficult. I don't know if you've ever taken the time to read Jesus' teachings, and we actually just went through this for the last three months. That's all we focused on is Jesus' teachings of how you're supposed to live your life from the Sermon on the Mount. If you've ever tried to live up to those expectations, then what you probably know is that it's quite difficult. That you're signing yourself up for a life where you're choosing the difficult path over the easy path. 
The first time in my life that I ever met somebody who really followed Jesus' way when I was a student at Oxford University in England. There's a professor of mine named Henry Wandsboro. Father Wandsboro is a Benedictine monk, which basically means that he lives a life totally and completely devoid of comfort, of worldly comfort. I remember I went into his office one time for a session, and he said, come here, I want to show you something. And he takes me over to a closet, and he opens the door, which I assume just had some, like, coats and stuff in it, and we go inside, and it's actually kind of an enlarged closet. It's probably about as big as this part of the stage right here, and there was a bed on the inside of it. And he said, this is where I sleep. You could fit all of my worldly possessions in a small box. And my first thought was, wow, Father Wansborough's kind of missing out on everything the world has to offer. You know, that's what I thought to myself. But the more I got to know him, the more I came to realize, on the contrary, I was the one who was missing out. Father Wansborough, he's a joyous man who cares about every single person who he meets. He had this amazing ability to look at the person sitting in front of him and to look past the person who you were at that moment, to see the potential of the person who you could become. When I came to him, I was this horribly unconfident kid who very much doubted religion and Christianity. Didn't really believe in it at all. And each week, we'd have to come together, and he would assign a paper to me, and I have to write a paper on a topic of his choosing. Now, most people in here, I'm sure you've been to college if you're old enough to have gone. And when you write a paper, even I guess in high school, it's true, when you write a paper, what happens is you turn it into the teacher, right? The teacher reads it, goes through, marks it up, hands it back to you. Is that what happens? Most of you? Okay, it's what you're used to. It's what I was used to. It's not the way it works over there. The way it works is you write your paper, and then you have a one-on-one -on -one session with your tutor or your professor, and you read it out loud to this person, who is, by the way, one of the top scholars in the world in this particular field, whatever field you're studying. And you're some stupid kid who doesn't know anything about anything. <laughs> so you go in and you sit down and you read this paper, and it's really intimidating, right? Now, also, probably one of the differences, here in America, the teachers that we have and our professors, they kind of have to coddle us to make us feel better, right? That's not the way it works over in England, I'll tell you that much. The Brits, they are there to destroy your argument. Whatever you have argued, they will argue the opposite and make you feel horrible about it. But Father Wandsborough, he was different. He had a different philosophy, a different approach. He would always make you feel as though you had achieved something, even when your research was not as good as it could have been. So I remember one time he told me, he said, Alex, you write very well, and you carry out your arguments to a logical conclusion, even when you're wrong. <laughs> and that's pretty high praise, coming from a guy like Henry Wandsborough. This is a guy who actually has his own translation of the Bible. Did it by himself. The translation that's in your pew, what we read up there, that was put together by dozens of people who worked together on that translation. He did his own by himself. I remember in one of my classes one time with him, because you don't have like classes in the sense like everybody sits together. It's all one-on-one. -on -one. 
And I said, well, let me just explain to you what happens at this part. He's like, just assume that I know it. <laughs> but what was even more amazing about Father Wansboro, more than the fact that he had written his own translation of the Bible, was that he was a man who was deeply committed to Jesus' way of life. He lived it out in everything he did. He was the first person I ever met for whom I really believe that that label Christian actually applied. He was humble. He was generous. He was kind. He sacrificed for the people around him. Every single person who he met was better off as a result of his presence. I figured, I have one life to live. I want to live it like his. I want to be like this man. So one day, I asked him, I said, how did you become this amazing person sitting before me? And he was very humble, and he said, look, I'm just going to tell you right now, there's nothing unique or special about me. You can do what I have done. You simply have to follow Jesus' teachings concerning the way. And he was very quick to tell me that, you know, it didn't happen overnight also. This was not instantaneous. So when I studied under Father Wandsboro, he was in his late 60s. But he became a monk at the age of 18. 18 years old. At 18 years old, I still didn't know how to dress myself. I do not think that I could have made the decision to become a monk at that age. Because you're giving up a lot. And so I asked him, I said, how did you make that decision? Was it hard for you? And he said, yeah, initially it was. Because he was giving up love. He was giving up the opportunity to have a family. But he emphasized to me, he said, Alex, I wasn't making this journey in isolation. I had a whole community of monks who was there to nurture me and love me and help me grow. And then, because he could tell I really cared a lot about how he had come to this point, he brought me in and he said, okay, do you want to know a little secret about how this all works? I'm like, oh man, this is cool. He's going to tell me how this all works, right? He says, here's what you need to know about the Christian life. The Christian life is defined by a series of deaths and rebirths. You have to allow certain parts of yourself to pass away so that something new can rise in its place. And he referred to this process of how he became the way that he was as the resurrected life. The resurrected life. So, in the same way that we have gathered here today to remember Jesus' death and how he was resurrected into something new, that's essentially what's happening inside of us all the time. God is inside of our hearts over and over again going through this process of death and resurrection. So, when he explained this to me, I thought to myself, okay, that's kind of neat. So I said, I said, tell me more. How do I go down this path? What does it take? How do I get there? What do I need to do? And he said, okay, first step in the process is that you have to let go of your way of navigating the world. Your way of navigating life. You have to let go of that. I didn't understand what he meant by that, so he explained it. Basically, every single person in this church right here we learned how to make our decisions from our parents, from watching our parents, 
and then from our life experiences. True? True. True. That's how it works, right? That's how you learn how to make your decisions. Now, some of the things that you learned are good things. Like when you say thank you when somebody does something kind for you, right? Everything, that's a good thing. I hope you do that, right? Okay. But the vast majority of what you learn, it's informed by your circumstances and your environment. And when you start to compare your way of navigating life with Jesus' way of navigating life, what you will come to find is that these two things often conflict with each other. They're contradictory. Your way of navigating the world that you learned growing up is not the way that Jesus would have you do it. So let me give you an example. Let's say that you grew up in an environment that was rough. A tough environment, right? You grow up in this environment where you always have to look out for yourself. You always have to look out for what you need because nobody's going to hand it to you. I'm sure there's some people in here who grew up that way. If you grew up in an environment like that, then what you know is that when somebody offends you, automatically you're going to fight back. Now that fight back could be verbally, it could be physically, but that's what you know from your environment. That's how you were raised. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, though, he's a pacifist. You can't do that. Because Jesus teaches when somebody strikes you on the right cheek, what are you supposed to do? Turn the other also, right? Jesus tells us you're not even supposed to get angry with a person who provokes you and antagonizes you. So if you're going to adopt Jesus' way of life, you can't get angry. You can't get mad. You can't fight back. Now, that may not apply to everybody in here, but essentially, whatever your way of navigating life is, you have to set that aside, and you have to adopt Jesus' way of life. If we were going to put it in Jesus' terms, what we would say is, you have to allow that part of yourself, those rules that you have for navigating life, to die, and then you have to let those pass away so that something new can rise in its place. And in this way, you will become a new person. You are literally reborn into Jesus' way of life. Are you following me so far? Does this make sense? Okay. Now, after he explained this to me, I'm going to be up front with you. I did not like it. <laughs> did not like it at all. First of all, the reason why is because I like my way of navigating life. Don't you? All right. We all do, right? We come to our own way, we do it our way. I don't want to give up my way of doing things because I think it's right, as does everybody else. Secondly, it was very rule-oriented because in order for this to work, you have to learn and memorize all of Jesus' teachings. And isn't that one of the biggest criticisms that everybody has of religion and Christianity in general? Isn't it just a bunch of silly rules? I'll be straight with you. I hate rules. Somebody gives me a rule, I'm going to break it. That's just the way that I am. I like to bend the rules. I like to break them. I'm just not good with rules like that. I feel like rules suck the joy out of life. That's just the way I feel about it. Now, let me give you an example of how I struggle with rules right now in my own life. So I have two sons. One's four, one's six. And they get super, super excited. They get an idea. They want to bring it to life. They are so jazzed about it, right? But nine times out of ten, whatever their idea is, 
as wonderful as it might be, it usually poses some kind of significant threat to their long-term survival. You know what I'm saying? So, when my son comes to me and he says, Dad, can we jump off the roof with an umbrella like Curious George does in his cartoon? Buzzkill Dad, he has to sit here and say, no, we have a rule. You, jump off, you don't jump off the roof with an umbrella because you could die. And you can just see that little glimmer of light just extinguished from their eyes because rules suck the joy out of life, right? You see what I'm saying? Okay. But there are some good things about rules, right? They are important in the sense that they keep us safe and they teach us right from wrong. And when you're young, when you're a kid, and you don't know how to navigate the world, rules are super important, aren't they? Until you learn all the rules, like look both ways before you cross the street. Don't touch the stove when it's hot. Until you know those things, until they're second nature, you have to focus on them all the time. That's all I deal with with my boys. It's like, you can do this, you can't do that. Because I want to keep them safe, right? Well, the same basic logic applies to the resurrected life. So, when you decide that you're going to live into the resurrected life, when you're going to adopt Jesus' way of looking at the world, most of us have to start from scratch. Okay, there's going to be a little bit of carryover, like saying thank you. But other than that, I'm telling you right now, you're pretty much starting over. It's like you're starting from childhood. And you've got to learn the rules all over again. You literally have to toss out everything that you assume to be true about living a good life, and you've got to learn the rules all over again. So in the same way that you have to teach a child the rules early on, early on in your journey as a Christian, you have to focus on the rules. You've got to focus on Jesus' teachings until they become second nature. So I asked Father Wandsboro, I said, how long does this take? Like, how efficient can I be with this part of it, since I'm not a big rules guy? And he said, well, Jen, it depends on the person. You know, that's first off. But secondly, generally you're signing up for years, if not decades, of time. Because he said, you have to realize Jesus' way of thinking, the behaviors that he's asking you to adopt, these are not natural to our way of being. It's not natural for us to give our money away to the poor so we can depend more on God. What's natural for us to do? What do we do with our money? Keep it for ourselves, right? We don't want to give it away. We want to have it for us. It's not natural for us to stand up for the poor and the oppressed. That's not natural. When you see somebody who's struggling, what do you do? Hey, man, it's your problem. i got to deal with my life. I can't get in there and risk my own safety for you. That's just not the way we are. It's not natural for us to love our enemies and pray for their well-being. What do we want to happen to our enemies? We want to hurt them or we want them to die. That's how we look at it. What he explained to me and what he made so clear is he said, look, Alex, here's the deal. When you adopt this way of thinking, what you are doing is you are changing the world for the better. Your natural impulse, that is what is destroying the world. 
But when you adopt it, when you go the other way, when you try to adopt Jesus' way, that is what changes the world for the better. That's what makes it possible to have the kingdom here on earth. That's what will save this place from going down. And so what you have to realize is that as you adopt Jesus' teachings, as you integrate them into your life, every single person in here, me included, you end up having this part of yourself with each teaching. A part of yourself has to die so that something new can rise in its place. And for the most challenging of Jesus' teachings, like, say, loving your enemies, which is really hard, you have to go through several iterations of death and rebirth to really fully live into some of those teachings. Now that I've explained this to you, though, I don't want you to come away thinking that the resurrected life is about memorizing a bunch of Bible verses, because it's not. Those verses, they lay the foundation for what the resurrected life is really all about. Because the ultimate goal of the resurrected life is to move beyond those rules. You see, you begin with Jesus' teachings. But those teachings, they lead you to a life that is so much greater and so much more inspirational than anything you have ever experienced. The only way I can describe it is to use the word transcendent. You heard that word before, transcendent? The word transcendent comes from the Latin root transcendere, which literally means to climb over. So Jesus' teachings, they help you to climb over the person who you are now so that you can become somebody totally and completely new and different. All right. So I'm sure some of you are sitting there thinking to yourself, sounds great, Alex. I appreciate it. Check. We're done with Easter. I feel good. All right. Move on. And I'm sure others of you are sitting there saying, it sounds good, but frankly, it feels a little bit out of my reach. It feels a little bit tough. I don't know what that would be like, and it sounds like a lot of time, like a lot of investment of energy, really, to go through this. But the fact is, you guys are already doing this right now. You've been doing this your whole life. You just didn't realize it. You've experienced transcendence before. I want you to think back, if you're old enough to do so. I want you to think back on an earlier part of your life. How much better did you know yourself at 28 versus 18? If you're not old enough for that, do 18 versus 8. Whatever. Okay. So 28 versus 18. For me, those two were incomparable. At 18, I thought I knew a lot about the world. I didn't know anything. But at 28, I was starting to get to really understand who I was as a person, and I was starting to be able to appreciate my place in the world. Now, if you're old enough to do so, do it again. Go from 38 to 28. Compare those two. Again, for me, no comparison between those two. It's like we're talking about totally different people. You see, with the benefit of time, you would have been able to transcend that person who you were in the past. You have literally been able to climb over that old version of yourself to become somebody completely new. Well, this is what the resurrected life is all about. This is what happens in the resurrected life, except the difference between the old person and the new person is that once you have integrated all of Jesus' teachings into your life, once you have gone through that process of death and resurrection enough times, 
you can now see the world totally and completely through the prism of God's love. That is the ultimate end. I want you to hear this. This is so important. If you don't hear this, you miss everything that I said about this sermon. This is it. By the time you get to the end, when you've worked it all out, you can see the world totally and completely through the prism of God's love. That's how Father Wandsboro saw the world. It was all about God's love. He didn't have to think about loving his enemies, and he actually had to deal with that a lot more than you would realize. He didn't have to think about loving his enemies because when you see the world through the prism of God's love, it's second nature. That's exactly what you're going to do. You don't even have to think about it. You're going to love your enemies no matter what. When you see the world through the prism of God's love, you don't have to think about giving your money to the poor. Why? Because when you see the world through God's love, what are you going to do when you see somebody who's hungry and homeless on the street? What do you do for them? You pick them up, you give them a meal, and you find them a place to stay. That's what you do when you see the world through God's love. When you see the world through God's love, you don't have to worry about judging a kid like me who is 21 years old, totally unconfident. No, you're not going to judge me for that. You're going to see me and love me and accept me just as I am. When you see the world through God's love, then those rules don't matter anymore. Because you are always living into Jesus' teachings because the core of every single teaching that Jesus talks about is love. And this is the beauty of the resurrected life. That once you have achieved it, once you are there, the rules don't matter anymore because you have transcended them with love. I started off this morning by saying that we didn't come here to talk about an event that happened 2,000 years ago. Today's not about a history lesson. I said today's about who? You. It's about you. And how this particular event exists in your life today. So I want to end with this question. Is Jesus' death and resurrection just another event on your calendar where once a year you get up and you get together with your friends and your family to celebrate or is it something more than that in your life? Is Jesus' death and resurrection something that exists beyond this particular day, these days where we celebrate? Is it something that's inside of your heart that you carry with you everywhere that you go? Are you allowing God to find those places inside of you that need to die and pass away so that something new can rise in its place? Every single person in here already knows the answer to that question. So let me tell you the difference between those two answers. The difference between those two answers is the difference between the life you're living right now and a life of true inspiration. The difference between those two answers is the difference between the life you're living right now and a life of true transcendence. The difference between those two answers is the difference between the life you're living right now and the resurrected life. May you choose the resurrected life, because I have seen where it leads, and I can guarantee you it is worth the sacrifice. Happy Easter, and amen. Thanks for listening, and if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.